We thank you, Lord. We ask, we ask together for your blessing upon the word this morning that, um, Lord, that it would be um, used as your vessel this morning to bring forth uh, a word that would encourage your body, that would bring um, light and, if possible, or if necessary, correction. I just pray, Lord, that I would empty myself of, you know, my flesh, that I would get out of the way, and that you would use me as your uh, messenger this morning, and, Lord, that you would receive glory in this house. And we just, uh, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 I like that song that we sang, that new song that we sang this morning, the priestly blessing, and, um, you know, we all sang together, amen, and we know that that word means so be it, or it's been established, that's God's word, and we agree, we're in agreement, um, there's power in agreement, there's power present when we can come, you know, as one, and number one, praise the Lord, you know, in fact, in the Bible, it talks about when they built the Tower of Babel and the people were united in purpose and God had to come down because he goes man this is an amazing thing they're doing here and nothing would be withheld from them because they were united in a purpose and that purpose was not a good purpose it was a evil purpose it was defying the word of God but can you imagine when God's people come together in unity what is possible and um, you know last week we we had that time of prayer and focusing on the work of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the impartation of the Holy Spirit, which is um, something that the Lord uh, desires from each one of us uh, to partake in. And, you know, the thing is, we're at times vessels that have cracks or we leak. And it requires us, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be, the, the thing is, means continually filled. So we, we could have a measure of the Holy Spirit. We can have that Holy Spirit. And then the day-to-day -day things that come against us in this life, and that Holy Spirit, you know, leaks out of us. And, and it, the, it's almost like in a car. If you've got an, uh, um, a leak in your engine or a, a cracked uh, gasket on there, you've got to check the oil level. And it's like, well, my oil is a little bit low. And God promises that he would fill us up, that he wants us to be um, a vessel of honor that's able to receive from him the outpouring. And it's available to each one of us. You know, and the thing about it is, we're all going through things. You know, life is, is challenging at times. And thank you, Linnea, for sharing that testimony from your heart. You know, to be that honest, because sometimes we're going through things and the very things that we know that we're supposed to be doing, we just don't have that, we don't have that push to push it through. And we almost like to hang back in that hammock of self-despair and just says, well, I'm justified in this. But the thing is, we're the ones who suffer from that. And I'm not saying that to condemn anybody because I've been in that hammock of despair, you know, and just laid back, oh, I just, I'm justified in my position here. Because look what happened to me. Anybody 
been there before, you know? Well, I think we all do. And it's so weird. It's, it's, it, I call it to be uncomfortably comfortable. You know, you, you know you're not supposed to be here. You know this is wrong, but I just, I feel so comfortable in my despair. In my, everybody, I should have a pity party and, you know, everybody should surround me right now. And it doesn't do any good to stay there. You know, it's, it's just a, it's a dark place. But God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And, you know, he, he says that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That God is the one who's faithful. You know, um, the Holy Spirit is doing an inner work within us. It's not something that's forced down. You know, he's going to bust down our front door and make us do something. But he imparts in us this life, this new life, the Holy Spirit. And there's something, a spark. It says in Corinthians, we hold, we have this treasure this Holy Spirit treasure, the, the spark of life that God has given, the spiritual life, the new birth that he gave us. When we got born again, he says, we hold this treasure in an earthen vessel. He who has begun a good work is faithful to complete it into the day of Christ. You know, and we're all, you know, our, our walk with the Lord, we'd like it to be just a straight line. Okay, I got saved. It's, it's straight there into heaven, but it looks more like this. You know, and this way too, back and forth, this oscillating left, right, up, down. But there's that beacon within us of truth, that beacon of the reality of who God is to us in our lives, which is, I believe, is the down payment or that seal or that um, earnest of the Holy Spirit. He's imparted that into each one of us. There was something that took place the moment that we got born again. There, it's, it, I like somebody who said it this way. He said, oh, actually, it was, it was from a movie that I saw. Um... Did you, anybody see that movie, Sergeant York? Sorry, it's a, based on a true story. It's based on a, a soldier out of World War I who lived in the backwoods of, I uh, forget what country, what uh, state that was. But anyway, you know, just kind of in the country. And, and he went through some trials there. You know, he, he wanted to get married. And he got cheated out of some really nice land that he worked extremely hard for. He worked really hard. And um, he had this anger that just came up in his heart. And he wanted revenge. And he actually, he wanted to, you know, take li- the life of this guy who stole his bride from him. Or the, the land that he wanted to have so that he could have, get married and uh, start his life. And long story short, World War I starts up. He was kind of, look. He, was, he got introduced to the Bible. And he thought... This is real. This is real. And the pastor talked to him and he goes, there's two types of people that come to God. There's some that come that get hit with the truth of God's word like a bolt of lightning. And there's just a boom, there's a change. We've seen people like that. And then he said, there's other people that it's more like a sunrise. That it just comes up slowly and there's a slow transition in their life of realization like the sun is coming up. And I thought that was an interesting assessment of how that is because you talk to people and everybody has a different experience with the Lord. You know, whether it was like, man, I used to be, you know, shooting up heroin. I was doing drugs and this and that. And then the alcoholic, all these things. And God just took it away. And I was like, Wow. And then there's other people, man, I've been struggling with this and I've been walking with the Lord and it's been a hard thing, but God is doing these things in my life. 
And there's, there's different methods. That not, it's not one size fits all. God works with us individually. It's a personal relationship with the Lord, and he works with us as individuals. And so uh, each one of us is different, and God works with us differently. It was an amazing story, though, that goes on with this Sergeant York. He goes and he, he, he finally grapples with his conscience about, you know, thou shalt not kill. But then he, he comes to the point where he realizes, but if there's an honorable cause to fight, that's something worthy. And so he goes into the military, and this guy was a sharp shooter, man. He could shoot really well. Long story short, he ends up capturing, I mean, a ridiculous amount of German soldiers in the trench warfare. It was like, I think it was over 300 or so. I don't want to make up a number. It was something amazing. One guy. And he gets honored by that. Sergeant York. They make a full-on ticker tape parade for this guy. And the state that he was from gifts him this land so that he could... You know, start his life. It's a, if you ever, it's an old movie. It's in black and white, but it's an amazing story and based on true events. Sergeant York, but his life was transformed by his encounter with God. He realized that I can no longer hold on to this bitterness and this unforgiveness. It's destroying me, and he released it. And he, he, he went back to the guy who stole that land from him, who, who did him dirty, and he asked, the guy thought he was coming to beat him down or kill him, and he goes, no, I'm here to ask your forgiveness for how I treated you. And God is able to turn every situation in our lives. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purposes. Romans eight twenty eight. And sometimes it takes a while. It takes a while for that, you know, that thing to turn like a dawning of a new day. It doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes it does. Sometimes we do something and, it, and we get the results of it right away. You know, other crops take a little bit longer to grow and we have to wait on it. But God is a God. It says that he places his word above his name and he watches over it to see it happen, to see it uh, bear the fruit. We are, it says, the house of God. We are the living stones. And each one of us is being built together for a habitation of the Holy Spirit. He also says that we're his crop. We're his field. And God is a fruit inspector. It's so funny. My wife planted those bulbs in our garden. And we told you that story that we got these. In fact, the wild pigs gave us a visit last night. I'm in there, you know, waiting on the Lord. And I hear some rustling in our gin, or in our ferns over there. And I jump outside. And I don't know how many there were, but they were in there again. I'm like, man, these pigs are persistent. And, um, but that time that she just, you know, planted all these bulbs that we got from Costco. And these wild pigs came over there and she asked me, did you, did you plow up my garden? I go, no. And it was the wild pigs went in there. They went like a, a tiller, went through the whole thing. And we were afraid that they went in there. What are they after? Well, they're trying to eat those bulbs. But now, yeah, worms, they like worms too. And what it, what it was, you know, that I don't know if they, you know, were probably more after the worms. But every day she goes out there and he's got another bulb popping up out of the ground. Another bulb, you know, the, the shoot of it coming out. And sometimes, you know, it looks like it's a ruin. It's a mess. And then God is working things all together for good. And she goes out there every day and she's counting. I got, how many bulbs you got? Pop? 65. 65 are sprouting. So they did survive. And it takes patience. It takes faith. You know, it, it says that we, when we uh, sow 
at times, you know, you don't go back and, and dig it up. Is it growing? Is there a root on there? We leave it and we have faith and we watch over it. We water over it, water it. And, and we, it's just like it's, it's making the case where we have to have faith. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he who comes to God must first believe he is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, so God is doing things. You know, last week I read this word. This is from Pastor Richard about sowing and reaping. You know, and I want to read it again. Uh, this is in Psalm uh, 126. And my heading on this, on this psalm, was a joyful return to Zion, a song of ascents. And it says in verse 1, it says, When the Lord brought us back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who, who dream. So this was talking about when the children of Israel, because of their disobedience, they didn't give the land its Sabbath. And he says, for every year that you shorted beyond the Sabbath rest that the land was supposed to get. It says for every seven years, there was one year where the land is rested and you don't sow and you don't reap, but you just live off of what's there. And because they were disobedient, they were like, if we sow and we reap on the Sabbath year, we can make this much more. And he goes, oh, really? And so this went over for a length of time. It was like 400-something years. And he said, okay, now you guys are going to pay what's due on this. And they put them into captivity into Babylon. And he said, it's going to be a prescribed number of years. It's going to be 70 years that you're going to be there because you, you have uh, back taxes you owe me. And so it was God doing that. But there was a day... And in according with the book of Daniel is where it's Jeremiah, the prophecies that says this is the time where this is going to be released. I think we're living in a time where the clock has been spinning and we're living in a time of anticipation. We're seeing a ramping up of prophetic events in the world. And us as Christians, we shouldn't be troubled over that, which it can be troubling. It, it, it is, I mean, when you hear about nuclear war or potential for that or economic collapse, it's unsettling. But in reality, if we've known the faithfulness of God, we should be at peace in these things because God has us in the palm of his hand. And in the world, they should be troubled. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you should be troubled right now. I mean, I really don't know how anybody deals with life right now without a relationship of Jesus Christ, without the hope of, our, of an eternal future, I don't know how people just don't scream and pull out all their hair and curl up in a fetal position on the ground with everything going on, right? <laughs> and it says in verse 2, when our mouth was filled, our mouth, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And they said amongst the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we were glad. Don't you love it when the Lord does something for you? It's actually, it's one of the fruit that God promises in the book of John. Where he was talking about, don't be worried guys. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. He's going to live within you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to be your counselor. He's going to guide you. And if we're obedient to the Holy Spirit, if we listen to that voice... I love what Jody said this morning. That's perfect, perfect. Because a lot of times it's counterintuitive. It's like, I don't want to do that. But Lord, I know that voice. And I know that you're good for what you're telling me to do. And when we submit to that, that's lordship right there.
Not my will, what I want to do, but I'm going to do what you want me to do. Our flesh is very selfish. I remember our Bible study teacher, John Linky, our, our flesh is like a little kid who has a lollipop in his, in his mouth and he's sucking on that thing. And, and the mom says, you know what, give me that lollipop. You shouldn't be sucking on that. It's going to rot your teeth. No, but I like this lollipop and I ain't giving it up. You know, that's kind of like how sin is with us. It tastes good for a while, but it has detrimental effect, right? And God says, no, I know, I know it's better for you. And, and, and I heard this saying, and I believe it to be true. It says, God's will is what we would choose for ourselves if we were smart enough to recognize it. Because he has an ultimate destination. He has an ultimate character. He has an ultimate plan that we're like, yeah, yeah, I want that. But do you know that this road looks kind of, you know, kind of sketchy? But you've got to trust me, and I'm going to bring you to this place. And that's the way God works. And like I said, it's counterintuitive. It don't make sense to the common sense, but we're not a natural man anymore. We're a supernatural man, and we're a people led by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means in the word when we say those who walk by the Spirit. We don't walk by our natural inclinations anymore. We listen to the Holy Spirit and even if it's sacrificial, even if it's like, well, I don't really want to do that. But we should know enough to when we let the Lord take the reins, that that's a better plan. It's a better, it's a better path that we're on our way to. Amen? Even this, you know, he was like, well, you guys didn't listen to me. They're going back to this psalm. You guys didn't listen to me. I told you. I was very clear about my word that you guys are supposed to do this and now you guys are suffering the effects of this and i could say the same for america right now if there was anything that america was blessed with it was blessed with people that feared god it was a people that looked to the word of god and says well i want to dictate my life in accordance with this and that's what brought prosperity to america there was a french you know traveler came to america and he says the reason why America is great is because the Americans are good. He made an observation about there was a church on every street corner. And as we look at the ruins of our nation, we said, we don't want that. We want to do it our way. And we sow the results of, we reap the results of that. And we're seeing that we're praying that there would be a return to the thing that made America great. It wasn't our economy. It's not about that. That's like a, an ancillary effect or that's a side effect of blessings of God. That should not become the primary thing that we're looking at. The primary thing is, you ask anybody, what are you looking for in life? I just want to be comfortable. How do you define comfort? I want to be at peace. I want to have joy. I want to have good relations with my family. Basic things that the Bible talk about. The very, the very first three gifts of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. And, and it's, it's, it's uh, conspicuously absent in the world right now. You know, it's so drastic, the difference. You go to a secular party or gathering, it seems very somber right now. You know, when you get together with people who don't have a relationship with the Lord, it's very flatline. You get together with believers, it's fun. It's joyful because we have a great future ahead of us. Our future is so great. Like I said, we got to wear shades. You know, it's just it's so bright coming up. It's just getting more and more and more bright. We got to keep our eyes fixed upon the source of that, which is Christ. That we forsake these things in the world. It says, no, 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 no. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on the goal, 
We got our eyes on the prize. It goes on in this psalm. It says, bring back our captivity, O Lord, uh, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That's a great word right there. You know, um, sowing seed is hard work, but there's joy when the harvest comes in. You know, it's just like the word of exhortation as far as even our finances. This is those who sow sparingly. If you just throw a little bit of seed, you're going to get a little bit of an increase. But if we sow bountifully, it's a bountiful uh, increase. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about whatever we sow. You know, whatever we sow. Our time with the Lord, you know, our, our care for other people, our service, our, you know, obedience to the Holy Spirit. That's worth its weight in gold to begin with, right there. This was a word that was given by Pastor Richard Gad from Uganda. He said he was praying for us. He found out, you know, that their church, we had a lot of people that suffered uh, from COVID. It was like, we're just at almost at the end. And then, boom, it hit us like a bomb. I don't know what that was. But God brought us through, you know. Um, God brought us through, and he was praying for us, and he said, Pastor Jay, I got this word for you guys, and so I wanted, I, I, you know, mentioned it last week, but just looking at it further, what it means, we are in a time of believing harvest. Part of the reason why we prayed for the church last week, it says to prepare the church for the work of the ministry. That each one of us is a, is a crafted vessel. Each one of us is, the word in Ephesians says that we're God's own workmanship. We're his poema or his poem. It's sort of special and unique and individual. And God has a task for each one of us placed in those special places in our work, in our family, and the people that we affiliate with, that we have a task to do. And each one is unique. I mean, I can maybe meet somebody and talk to somebody that you might not be able to meet and talk with to have an influence on them to say something of worth that would have maybe an eternal uh, bearing on their destination. And I got to say the same, each one of us here have those realms and those spheres of, of uh, uh, dominion that God has given to us, that sphere of influence. And... The Holy Spirit is the one who can lead us and guide us and give us the insights that we need in order to be effective in that arena. I want to read, you know, I mentioned this last week and I want to show you in the Word. Uh, this is in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Um, Jesus, walking with his disciples, uh, chapter 4 of the Gospel of John. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, and he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. From my studies in this, that Samaria was a despised city because they were like half-breeds. They were half-Jews and they were half-Samaritan. Uh, you know, they just brought in a foreign people and occupied and they interbred with the Jews and they were looked down on. The Jews are very proud of their pedigree. They were proud of, they were the chosen people. And so these guys come in and they have like sort of a view of God, but it's not the pure view. And the Jews would basically avoid, they would go around this town. And even if it took them a long way away, we're not going through Samaria. But Jesus says, I must go through Samaria. 
That Jesus is not averse to going to the places where other people wouldn't go. And the, he had an appointed meeting. He had, I, I believe, you know, when you read the Bible and you see Jesus says he spent all night in prayer. He was getting instruction from the Lord. He was getting download from the Lord. And in fact, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I will give you my Holy Spirit. And he will lead you into all these things, all the, all the knowledge, all the wisdom. all the, And so praying and spending time with the Lord, baptized by the Holy Spirit, able to speak in tongues. Because it says in the word of God, it says, if you speak with tongues, you are communicating directly to God. And if you give thanks in that manner, you give thanks well. And, and it's almost like an encrypted message that the devil can't know what's going on here. What are you talking about? What's the instruction? What is it that you're saying? It's an encrypted message between you and God right there. That's what the word of God says. It says that all languages have function. All languages mean something. But this is a prayer between you and God. And it edifies you and it gives you insights. And so when Jesus went up on the mountain to pray by himself, I'm sure he's praying in the natural. He's praying about things he understands. But was he praying in the spirit also? You know, when we think about Jesus, when I think about Jesus, I, I, a lot of times I tend to make the mistake that he's Jesus. He can do anything. But he says that he, dis, he disrobed of his glory in order to take on the form of a man so that what he fulfilled here on the earth that's the glory of the incarnation that he gave this same power through his holy spirit that what i did you are capable of doing also we i, I tend to still in my mind i put jesus on this platitude up here which he should be but it's almost like yeah but he's jesus but he disrobed himself of his glory and whatever he did he says, I did this just like you would have to do this. That's mind-blowing when you really come to that. He says, always tempted or tested as we were, yet without sin, in the flesh. In the flesh. That's why that's such an important doctrine. We always go over it over Christmas, as well as the resurrection during the Passover, that we establish that doctrine. Because cults are founded on something different. He was spiritual. He didn't even leave footprints on the earth. What? It's not the Bible I read. It says that he was just like us, and yet he's perfect. And that's why he's seated at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit's imparted within us. He's seated next to the Father, and he says, I know what it feels like. I'm interceding on their behalf because I know what it feels like to be a man. I know the weakness that the flesh is subject to, and they're a work in progress. And, and as we appeal to Jesus' blood, that we have right standing with God, we confess those things, and we can enter into that holy place that when you read the Old Testament, that took a lot to get into that holy place. And it was only one time a year, but Jesus ripped the veil and says, come on in here anytime you desire. He purchased that for us. We'll get back to John's Gospel. It says... So he came to the city of Samaria, which is Sychar, which is the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, when Jacob's well was there, Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus at the well. It was about the sixth hour, about 12 o'clock. Right here, it shows you that he had humanity. He was tired. I'm tired of walking around. I'm, I'm weary. I'm going to sit down over here, and you guys go into the town and go get something to eat. He knew that there was somebody coming. 
There was an appointment there because he was prayed in the spirit. He knew that this was happening. So his disciples had gone, verse 8, into the city and got food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask me a drink? Well, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. It says, Now Jacob's well was there. Verse 7, The woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Give me a drink. And his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 8, the woman of Samaria said to him, How, that is you being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Right there it's listed. Not only that, she's at the well at 12 o'clock. Most people would come in the morning when it's cooler to gather their water. She's not even received by the people of the town because she's perceived as a sinner. Went through all these husbands and she was kind of like, oh, you know, leave her by herself. So she's there at noontime getting her and Jesus was there at noontime because he had an appointment and he said Jesus answered and said to her verse 10 if you only knew the gift of God and who uh, it is who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water living water you know the one of the things that in this gospel he says I am the water of life when you're really thirsty the only thing that you want to drink is water you don't want a Pepsi, you don't want a Coke, you don't want anything else, you want water. And when water, when you taste water and you're very, very thirsty, it don't even taste like water. It tastes like this is life is getting into me. And that's what he's saying. When you taste this water, he's giving us not only a drink of water, but he says there's a well of water springing up within us that satisfies that we're not going to go and say, well, if we had an encounter, if we have a true encounter with the Lord, well, yeah, I tried Jesus for a little bit, but that really didn't satisfy me. I wonder if you had a real encounter with Jesus Christ. Because once, just like in, in this gospel, it goes on in verse 6, Peter says, man, that's a hard saying. And a lot of his disciples, a lot of his disciples left and said, that's it, I'm out, man. Drinking your, your blood and eating your flesh, I, man, that's hard, that's too much. And he asked Peter, are you going to go to? And he goes, where am I going to go to? You're the only one who has the words of eternal life. You try to tell me another religion that speaks of the things that the Bible talks about, that Jesus fulfilled by the resurrection. He, he put an exclamation point on it and says, it's all true because the grave is empty. I went back to my father. I sent the Holy Spirit. It's a witness that it was true. You find me another religion or a pursuit of faith that you would want to dedicate your life to that rivals this story. It does not exist. Amen? Verse 11, the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give will never thirst. But the water that I will give of him becomes to him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life, that eternal thing that's going on, that Holy Spirit, that um, resource that springs up within us. It's an internal work that God is doing in each one of us. The woman said this in verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come to here and draw. So she seems almost like she's being a little bit facetious with the Lord. You know, he's speaking spiritual things and she's kind of like, give me this kind of water that I don't have to come over here at 12 noon and draw, right? 
Jesus goes on. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, for you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one to which you have is, is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. So she at least told us truth right there, right? You ever met people that are living together, which is not in accordance with the word of God, and says, the Lord knows my heart. He knows my heart. Well, he knows that you shouldn't be living together. He knows that you should be married. <laughs> he says it right here. But the thing is good. There's no condemnation in Christ. And we're going to see this, man. This is an amazing thing. He has an understanding. And there's a standard of truth in the word of God. But there's always a provision for us. Because he realizes, man, we're, we, we blew it. We screwed up. We need, a, we need a savior. We need an advocate. And that's what he's going to be here. Um, come here and draw. And the woman said, go call your husband. But it says... Uh, Verse 18, he had five, no, sorry, 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. I perceive that you're a prophet. I remember the first time I had an encounter with a prophet who shared this story. Uh, was David McDonald came to uh, Upcountry Christian Fellowship, Pastor Rob's church. And I had bones in my closet. Uh, a past, the things that I've done that I'm not proud of. And the prophet is up there and I go, it's a prophet of God. And he's a seer and he can see things. And so I'm hiding behind somebody over there. Uh, so he wouldn't pick me to bring me up to get a word. Hiding behind. And he said, you. And I'm like hiding a little bit more. You don't want hiding behind that person over there. Come on up here. I want to give you, bring your wife with you. And he gave us a word and it changed our life. It changed, our, it changed the course of our life. That's the power of a prophetic word. When you receive a word from the Lord, and maybe at that time God brought us to a place where we were desperate, we need to hear something from God. It was that juncture. I perceive that you're a prophet. Verse 20, the father worship, our fathers worship on them. She's trying to, she's trying to change the subject. Our fathers worship on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Jesus said there, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Uh, worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So the root of our faith comes to the Jews. The word of God came to the Jews. The Messiah came to the Jews. You read the book of Romans that we have a debt to the Jews, even though they've rejected their Messiah. It says that the branch should not boast against the root. The root is Judaism. The root is the uh, Mosaic law. The root is Abraham. We came up through that. And it says that if God wills, they could repent and be grafted into this tree where they were cut off because of their unbelief. We were like a wild olive branch that says, wow, I want to partake in that. He says, I'll graft you in. He says, how much more the natural branch could be grafted into that tree? So be careful how you deal with the Jews. Blind, it's a mystery. It says, blindness in part has come upon the Jews until the fullness of the Gentile come in. That's God's plan. It says in verse, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, the Father in spirit and in truth. There's two aspects of worshiping God. 
I've noticed that there's churches that are very, very word-oriented. Very, very word-oriented. And then there's other churches where they're very spirit-oriented. And both of them are a sort of an aberration. They're lacking. But when there's a mixture between the word and the spirit, there's chemistry that takes place. When you get into the spiritual dimension of the word, the word has to be the foundation. You can't get outside of that. But when, it's, when you invite the Holy Spirit in, you make room for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is present, there's an ignition that takes place where good, solid doctrine can be very dry. There's something missing there. There's something. I went to, first time I noticed, I went to a men's camp, and it wasn't really spirit-oriented. It was just natural, natural man thinking, and man you know, thinking in their brain. And I go... That was good. It was all technically right, but there was something missing. It's the ignition of the Holy Spirit. When these two merge together, that's where things happen. Amen? It says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit, and must worship in spirit and truth. There's a merger. It says, what the moment said, I know that when Messiah is coming, he was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I've heard it said that people say, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Right here. Right here. He claimed to be the Messiah. The one that they're waiting on. So a word of prophecy. Boom intermixed with this moment where he told her this and at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with this woman yet no one said what do you seek or why are you talking with this with her the woman then left her water pot went away to the city and said to the men come and see the man who told me all things i ever did could this be the christ that's a prophetic word there wasn't condemnation there. There was conviction, but she was so excited that, man, I met this guy. This is different, different, and moved her course in a different way. And it says, um, they went out of the city and they came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, say, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. That means that when we do the will of the Lord, there is a fulfillment. There's a satiation within us, a longing within us. When you are used to do God's will, there's a satisfaction that comes on us, right? When Jesus was obedient to the Father, he always did those things that pleased him. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said, said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say that there is still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And when he reaps, receives wages, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may receive together. For in this the saying is true, uh, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for what which those who have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. You know that scripture that Pastor Richard gave us? It says we're sowing, we're sowing, we've sowed, we've sowed, we've sowed. It's like, oh, it's weirdness, it's weirdness. But what happens when the harvest comes in? What happens if we did not faint? We persisted. And there's joy in the harvest. And I, I met people who lived in farm country. And they go, oh yeah, man. When the harvest time, you're working like crazy. But there's such an anticipation and excitement to bring in those crops before they go bad. You know, we're living right now on a coffee, a coffee farm. And it's a tragedy. 
He planted acres and acres of coffee, coffee beans on this thing. And uh, this rust came on the plants. And I was reading in the Word of God. I'm like, man, Lord, why? You're just hearing of all these diseases. And there's scriptures that talks about because of sin on the land, your crops are going to be blighted. And this and that. It's, it's prophetic. There's a connection between the two. I don't know. Or, or biological agents. But these coffee trees, acres of them. Got this rust on the leaf, and if you don't got healthy leaves, you're not going to have healthy plants. And the things are just drying up, and you look at all these coffee beans on these, on these plants just turning brown because nobody's harvesting them. Just, what a waste. What a waste. Verse 39, in closing, it says, Then many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word which the woman had testified. He told me all that I ever did. So the Samaritans had come to him, and they urged him, saying, Stay with us. And he stayed there two days. I think that nothing in the Word of God is for mistake, or it's by, just by chance. He stayed there two days. You know, in Peter it says, A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. We're living in the last days. Not last day, but last days. So at least two days. Um, I chronicled this last week how the history of our uh, mankind on the earth is about 6,000 years coming to an end right now. And then there's another day after that, the day of the Lord, that begins with the tribulation period and goes into the uh, millennial period, which is like the Sabbath rest. So here it says, he stayed with us two days. I believe it's talking about, because he's ministering to Samaritans. He's, minute, he's talking about the gathering together of Jews and Gentiles within the church in this age, this two days right now. But after this dispensation is closed, we're going into a different thing at that point. We're at the very end of those two days, I believe, the church age. There's another scripture that talked about when they're crossing over the Jordan. And it says, keep about 2,000 paces from the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, from, from, you put the Ark in front of you, and then you stay back 2,000 paces. Because we've never gone this way before. In leading, I think there's hints in that to the church age, which was encrypted. It's a mystery that God has placed in here. Verse 41, And many more believed because of his own word. The Lord ministered to them in those two days. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after two days he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that the prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things which he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. Isn't that an amazing story? Yes. Look at the impact of one man meeting one person at one place and giving one word that instilled a harvest, instilled a boom, that thing just exploded from there. That if we're led of the Holy Spirit, we're guided by the Holy Spirit to speak something in that appointed time. Can you imagine the impact could that have? That's the importance of being operating in the Spirit. The Lord is looking for those who operate in spirit as well as in the truth. That's my desire for our church, to be a church that is operating within the Spirit 
in accordance with the truth of God's word. There's power. There's there's uh, wisdom in that. There's uh, it's it, it, Paul calls it. My ministry was effectual. It had it had impact. And each one of us is a minister here. Each one of us has this challenge put before us. And I pray that this morning that we would operate in accordance with this. Let's pray.